Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Today on Political Rewind, a Democratic state senator calls on Georgia's Republican attorney general to issue an opinion on the constitutionality of the fetal heartbeat bill. Governor Kemp touts his accomplishments during his first 100 days in office, and Georgia Democrats on Capitol Hill remain mute on the question of impeaching the president. Political Rewind starts now. I'm glad you're all with us for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, we got a great panel assembled for today's show. Let's get right to them and start talking about the issues that are on our agenda for today. It's Friday. The AJC's lead political writer, Jim Galloway, is with us. Uh, he, of course, is the, you see his column on Wednesdays and Sundays in the AJC, and he oversees the Political Insider blog, part of my AJC or, or AJC.com. And uh, it's, it, you know, I look at, I look at the uh, political blog about eight times a day, Galloway, because you update it throughout the day, and it's, it's just a great way to stay yeah, informed. And we just like to keep you glued to the screen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it works. We'll live for that. Uh, Republican uh, Ed Lindsay, former member of the Georgia House, is with us. He represented uh, Atlanta during your tenure. Your years in office were? Uh, 04 to 14. To 14, and now you uh, are the Georgia government affairs head of Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Thank you very much for the plug. <laughs> glad, I'm glad to have you here. Audrey Haynes is with us. She's a political science professor at the University of Georgia. But the thing that makes Audrey Haynes most proud is she created the Applied uh, Politics Program at UGA, and we have a brand new t-shirt from them. And you know, Audrey, any program that has its own t-shirt obviously is a successful program. Well, it certainly is. Um, the students really make it successful, and they're doing great things. So. Did, did I read that your, your first group of graduates out of the program are graduating in May? Um, well, th they're the last of the first cohort are okay. graduating. So the, the students that started with us um, are graduating uh, this spring, and the first cohort will have completely gone through the program and gotten their degrees from UGA, and they're already doing amazing things. And, just, in, and just in time for the 2020 campaign. About to say, just you know, in time. You know, let's see who, who, who signs on and runs. Well, hopefully there'll be lots of jobs for them in this election. And that's well. exactly the point of your program, uh, to take theoretical political science and convert it to a program which teaches them how to go out and actually get jobs and make money in politics. Yes, and make change or have an impact as well, because as they have learned, oh. it's not always just about the money. Okay. Uh, well, congratulations on uh, getting that first group through. Michael Thurman, the CEO of DeKalb County, joins us today. You just went through a big day yesterday. You gave the annual uh, State of the County address. Yeah? Yes, yes. And, uh, <laughs> Can you give us, just give us a couple of highlights of what's it was, happening. It was a great day. It was a great day, I believe, for DeKalb. Uh, my goal was to continue to build consensus across the county uh, to keep us on the right path. And the theme was DeKalb is rising. And uh, I was happy that my friend Ed Lindsay was there uh, in the great audience. Speech. And uh, I'm very excited about where we are, but more so about where we're going. Um, give, us a, give us a headline. 
If I were, if you were writing the headline to your own speech, what's the best thing that you could tout yesterday? The sleeping giant has awakened, <laughs> <laughs> which is DeKalb County in East Metro. All right. Uh, Jim, let's start with an interesting uh, poll that uh, Morning Consult, which is a um, polling arm of Politico, the, the really, really popular and uh, I think important, it's safe to say, website that covers politics day in and day out. Uh, they released polling on both the senators in all 50 states and the governors in all 50 states. And from our point of view, I think we both agree, one of the most interesting findings was about um, David Perdue. He, we talk all the time about how he is just joined at the hip to President Trump. He is stuck by his side. It's no longer even news to see uh, a release from the from the Purdue campaign of the, the Purdue Senate office saying David Purdue agrees with the president. Fill in the blank. Happened this morning. <laughs> it happened. That's exactly right. I was thinking about that. And how has that worked in his favor, according to well, Morning Consult? Okay, okay. The, the 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 consult poll was. I think it was a three month effort. I think mm-hmm. they had some, something like five thousand. Uh, respondents uh, spread across the U.S. and and they ranked they ranked all these senators by 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 their approval ratings by within each state mm-hmm. and uh, David Perdue came in at, in at number thirty one uh, out of a hundred senators that's not bad yeah Johnny Isaacson came in at sixty four and the difference I think is is Purdue had a 76 approval rating among Republicans in his own state. Yeah. And I'm not sure that Isaacson has gotten that, got that. Thing. Yeah, we don't even have those figures because he was down the list so far that right. we didn't report mm-hmm. this out. We just had, an, a, 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 I think Purdue is at 47% positive approval, mm-hmm. 25% disapprove. As you, It's like a 22-point uh, swing to the approval side. Um, so what do we think this, let me, let me, Audrey, as we really get the, the Senate race underway, at least on the Republican side, we're still waiting for the Democrats to really begin their efforts. We'll talk about that in a minute. What does this tell you about Purdue's chances for re-election? Well, um, one, he's probably going to benefit from a lot of the money that Trump is going to be putting into the campaign, and Trump is going to be running a really, a really aggressive campaign. Um, but when I was looking at the numbers, um, it looks like he's going to be sitting pretty, 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 you know, uh, for the race. Uh, it'll be hard uh, to uh, challenge him and win at this point. Now, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Campaigns can matter. He's going to um, probably have a tough pushback from the Democratic side, and that will help mobilize people on their end because he is so associated with Trump. But again, like we saw with Abrams, it it could be close, but not a win for the Democrats. And I was talking to a very prominent Georgia Republican, somebody who served in in office statewide uh, the other day, and I said, boy, I think that uh, David Perdue's going to be tough to beat. And this person said, I think once people start, once the Democrats start pounding away at his ties to Trump, the, the, the uh, equation is going to turn very quickly. Do you agree with well, that? Well, the equation may turn. I mean, the numbers are soft right now. I mean, he has a 22-point swing between favorable and unfavorable. And every politician elected official would love to have that kind of swing. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there are some very formidable Democrats uh, who, who are looking to get into this race. 
Uh, they, uh, and you know, as shown by the kind of race that Stacey Abrams ran uh, last year, uh, Republicans should expect a difficult race. And I think uh, Senator Perdue is expecting a difficult race. So it's not like he's going to be caught sleeping. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. But, but uh, as was mentioned, uh, he's in a very good position right now with, with a 22-point swing. Michael, it's got to be frustrating, I would think, to be a Democrat sitting. You've got Teresa Tomlinson, of course, out there with an exploratory committee, but, but, and she's raising money right now. She's organized a staff. She's put together a pretty good team of consultants, but she too is saying, I'll make this race. I'll make my final decision on actually converting this exploratory effort into a campaign, depending on Stacey Abrams. You've got others sitting in the wings who might be looking at this race. It's got to be a little frustrating that at the end of April, you're still not sure who the candidates are going to be running for the Democratic nomination. Well, yes, and to any candidate, uh, whether it's for the U.S. Senate or any other race, if you believe that you're the best candidate or the best person to fill the position, then he or she should run. Uh, and you have to be willing to say that no matter who gets in the race, I feel like I can win. If you don't feel that way, then I don't think you should really pursue the office in any way whatsoever. Either you're the best or you're not. And any hesitation or calculation only undermines and dilutes enthusiasm and support for the candidacy. Well, I was going to add, too, um, Bill, one thing about Senator Perdue. I mean, he's been there since 2015. And in terms of if if. Uh, the members who were responding on that poll were looking at his conservative credentials and his success in sponsoring bills and bringing home the bacon. You know, if you look at the, the data and the numbers, he hasn't really had an extremely successful, um, you know, legislative career in that short period of time as a freshman senator. I think he's, he is chair of one subcommittee. He's probably co-sponsored a relatively, um, you know, low number of high-level bills, no, no major uh, party members have co-sponsored bills with him. And here's the point, his conservative ratings from places like Heritage Action and, and Club for Growth and places like that, they're usually about C's and B's. So, well, I mean, it, it is, the, I think it's the, I'm saying this because I think it's the Trump factor, the uh, Trump factor that really helps yeah. him tremendously. Two, two points, one, you know, as a freshman, it is a little bit I, I know. bills yes. passed. Uh, he but has been involved in a, in a very high-profile uh, immigration bill, yeah. along with Senator Cotton, uh, that is trying to make get some traction. It'll be a little more difficult in a Democratic House. So you do uh, you do have him being involved in that. He also serves uh, on the House, rather the Senate Judiciary Committee. So the Supreme Court nominees that have gone through there, the court nominees, have given him a little bit of a high profile there. So I think that he does. He can come back and sort of tell some things. But you're right in terms of bringing home the bacon sort of things, you know, that's something that we'll see over the course of the next year. And certainly, hopefully, we'll see some of that when it comes to taking, getting some relief from Hurricane Michael uh, uh, from last year. I'm, I'm glad, Ed, that you mentioned the uh, immigration effort that he's making with Cotton. Uh, whether you agree with it or not, yeah. Jim, that has been a pretty high-profile effort that he and Tom Cotton have made. They had the it, president it, on board with it, them. It, it, yes, and they've gotten the, they have the, the backing of Steve Miller, Stephen Miller, uh, who is kind of the the immigration guru in the White House. But it's it's a it's an approach that really doesn't have any traction within the Senate himself. Yes, it right. Has, it has right. not moved. Within He's the talking Senate. about cracking yeah. down on legal immigration. Right, right. 
Um, you know, the other thing that's interesting, if, I, if I'm in the Purdue camp, Jim, that I think, regardless of the fact that this isn't legislation, he's been really out front and vocal about extending, saying to the United States Senate, we can't afford to keep taking these long vacations. We have work to do here in Washington. Uh, he was responsible for them staying in session last August, it I made think. Made him very popular. Well, <laughs> fortunately, his election doesn't depend on the other members of the United States Senate. But my point is, he'll come home and say, look, I've been all about fiscal responsibility. Um, I've been all about keeping us working and doing our jobs. We've got, uh, when we can't pass a budget and we need to do a continuing resolution, we have to stay in Washington. So, what, despite what Audrey is saying, and I think she's right, he hasn't had a big legislative career, but he does have things he can run He's on. He's got things he can run on. I think that the one thing that he ran on in 2014 that may need a little burnishing is is his approach to the deficit. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, obviously yeah. that, has, that, has, that, has, that has rather exploded as a result of the, uh, of the, of the tax cuts yeah, uh, passed in 2017. Yeah, Michael, what do you... Go ahead, go ahead. No, I just think, though, with all that being true, it's going to be a close race yeah. because yeah. there are dynamics in the political environment that are not going to uh, uh, slow down or take into account uh, the fact that uh, Senator Perdue has done a reasonably good job uh, unless if the Democrats can nominate a candidate who can continue to build support and, and make inroads into the suburbs, Cobb is not going to stop turning blue. Yeah. Uh, Gwinnett is not going to cease turning blue, and all of that will work to the favor and, of a candidate. Right, and, and, and to your to your point there, Chuck Schumer is 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 not going to let this race no. uh, uh, really go slack, especially if Georgia becomes the seat that he needs in order to gain control. Can I can I also return to the the idea of the sleeping giant that you mentioned a moment ago, <laughs> because getting, pivoting back to the Democratic, because while we do have the former mayor of Columbus looking at this race, we have uh, a state senator from Fulton and Cobb looking at this race. The real question is who's going to get in this race? Who can who can appeal to those voters in DeKalb County, which is the honeypot of Democratic voters? And you know, and you obviously, are, you know, if, if if not choosing to, to run, you will obviously be a kingmaker. Whoa, whoa, that, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I do believe this, and I'm, I'm, I, you know, and, and that you and other uh, DeCab Democrats are going to play a very pivotal role. Given the amount of votes that reside in DeKalb County, well, well the Democrat, a Democrat will carry DeKalb. The question is, what will be the level of energy? No, I'm talking in, about in the primary. In, in the, the primary, primary. oh, uh, I see. You, you know, you, you yeah. and other Democrats uh, who are in DeKalb County are going to have a, a big role. Uh, in terms of determining who's going to be the so Michael hit. Michael I will point out uh, Tom Faust just sent me a note that well, one of our faithful uh, Facebook live followers uh, Daniel Eason says uh, he thinks the best candidate for that Senate race is you but you've made it fairly clear I think <laughs> that while you may be thinking about what your political future is down the road 2020 am I right I've you nominated I will not uh, <laughs> <laughs> elected uh, someone said that <laughs> But, but no, I, I I have a job to finish in the camp. Yeah. Uh, read this morning's paper. Yeah. Uh, we got to finish. We're getting the yeah. Senate Michael's got to fix those shoes. You know, I, I pursued my uh, <laughs> Senate uh, agenda. It's a tough race, though. One yeah. thing that 
Democrats, anyone seeking to race, it's a national race now. It's not really a state race. We talk about it in the context as it's a national, uh, a statewide contest. It's really not. Yeah. The one lesson I learned when I ran uh, for the Senate in 2010, that it was really a national race. Yeah. And national influences will have a huge impact, not just Trump, on this uh, campaign that's coming up in 2020. Yeah. I didn't mean to pick up too much on my friend Michael per se, but the fact of the matter is, start looking at who's in DeKalb County that could get into that race, that could make an impact simply by virtue of the fact of the number of voters. Go ahead. Who? I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Kathy Boston, mm -hmm. the DA. Okay. Sherry Boston. Sherry Boston. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, very popular uh, DA there. Apparently well doesn't have the name recognition. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm up my children's <laughs> names, fine. too, so don't worry about that <laughs> uh, if you give me a chance. But the fact of the matter is, you know, she be, would be someone who I think would be very formidable if she chose to get in the field. I don't know if she's interested, but there are several others. All right. But let's, well. you, let's pick up on, on, on something you threw out uh, without make, uh, adding the name to it. Jim, we, this, it's not surprising that after Senator Senator Jen Jordan, Atlanta, mm -hmm. parts of Fulton County, North Fulton, uh, made a name for herself in her fervent, passionate opposition to the fetal heartbeat bill. She gave a speech from the well that was went viral on social media. She was called to Washington to testify about a federal abortion bill that the Congress is considering, Senate was looking at. So she's, you know, no, it's no, no surprise that suddenly people are adding her name to the mix. She was on the show the other day and she said, well, I'd be silly not to consider it. I am thinking about what I might want to do next. But she didn't want to go a whole lot further than that. Um, what one do you thing, think? One, th one thing, when, when, whenever I hear people being named for Congress, one thing I look at is what, what are the age of their kids? Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Because it's a, it's a job that takes you away, because we don't have the system where you, you, you're, you take your family with you, with you to D.C. anymore. You leave them at home, and you kind of commute over the weekends. And it makes, it makes parenting very, very tough. Well, the reason, Audrey, I say that's exactly right is that that's one of the things Jen Jordan has thought about. Her children are still pretty young. Yeah. Yes, and I would say um, both males and females, they both consider those uh, issues because we all remember Paul Ryan talking about wanting to get back to his family. So, you know, I can imagine, although um, she has really moved up in terms of her profile and um, it'll be interesting. I would just say at this point, you know, if Stacey Abrams decides that she wants to run, um, I mean, she would be the candidate to beat in the primary. I think she'd clean the primary, I think. Uh, yes. I think that's pretty clear. And, and I think some of the things like um, what Teresa is doing is starting that exploratory committee. That's be uh, probably some of that is because they're really not sure what um, Stacey Abrams is going to do. So it's best to be prepared. Yeah. And if that opening comes up, you're ready. All right. Well, thank you. Smart. Thank you for putting us into that next part of the conversation. Abrams has been saying by the end of April. Well, the end of April is uh, beginning in the next week and uh, we're still not hearing from her. Well, you know, I, I think on this show, fortunately, you know, you don't hold it against us if we're wrong. Because, you know, for, for about two months, I've been predicting that she was Nobody's gonna, more wrong on yeah. this show than I am. Yeah, because so. I, I've been predicting that given the fact that uh, Senator Schumer gave her such a prominent role in rebutting the State of the Union, that, that clearly he was grooming her to run for the U.S. Senate, and this would be a great entree for 
But the more time she delays, it does seem like more, it's more, more likely that she'll pass on this race and focus either on helping uh, the Democrats win uh, in 2020 in some capacity or maybe running for governor in 2022. That seems to be, you know, my best guess at this point. Yeah. Michael, what do you do? Something I said earlier that didn't really gain a lot of traction. If you believe that you're the best candidate, yeah. then you should run. The, the races where I've been successful, I believe that I had some ideas or talents or, or at least some understanding about the issues that would be a benefit to the people I wanted to serve. When you get too involved in the calculation about the numbers and, and who's in and who's out, you're telling me that you don't really, really believe that you're the very best person for the job. And that's what I would like to see. You got to have what we used to call fire in the belly. Yeah. Once you get, and yeah, you know this, oh, yeah. once you get the fire in the belly, heck, Abraham Lincoln can be on the ticket. You know, <laughs> right? you, you know what I mean? Is, is, that once, right. is that right? I mean, you've been there and done that, right? And now you don't yeah. always win. You get beat. I've gotten beat. Yeah. But the point is, I still believe that I'm the best candidate. Yeah. So are you, is, is this a polite way of telling us that if Stacey Abrams were going to run, she'd already be there? Uh, or if any other candidate really had the desire to run, they would have already. Well, announced. wait a minute. I, you're, I think Jim asked you a really good question. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think he's going to let you off the hook. <laughs> Can you repeat that question, sir? <laughs> Do you think that if Stacey Abrams were really believed uh, this was the race for her. I, I might take a little issue with your notion that you'd have to feel you're the best candidate. You might be calculating some aspect of this on whether this is the best race to take on right now. But either way, uh, you figure she'd be in already if this were the race for her. Well, I, I can't pretend to know what's in Stacey's mind and what she's thinking, but uh, I, I'm just saying a race of this magnitude for the U.S. Senate to make all type of historical achievements and milestones. This is not something you meander into. Yeah. That has to be a full-fledged, all-out commitment in I, order I, to be successful. Right. Because David Perdue is a formidable candidate backed up by the President of the United States. Yes, but I'm going to make an argument for why it's okay for her to wait just a little bit longer. She already has an infrastructure, in a sense. She just mm -hmm. ran a... No, no, I'm not yeah. saying that. No, but and she has a lot of people. I have um, students who are on the Abrams for um, uh, for governor campaign who are just waiting. I mean, and they're fr they're a bit frustrated too because they're ready to go, they're ready to work. So she has a lot of people. She has name recognition. What I don't know so much is um, how the financials are looking. But here's my getting back to, to Michael's point. It's one thing to wait. From a calculated standpoint, as term, in terms of when to get in, mm -hmm. um, for instance, I'm convinced that uh, Vice President Biden knew that he was going to run for president <laughs> several months ago. But he 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 did a calculus in terms of when was the best time to yes. get in. And it's one thing to wait and try to figure out when's your best time to launch. It's another thing to be trying to decide whether or not to run. And my guess is that Stacy's made that decision one way or the other. Uh, Andre, let me ask you: uh, the, the those students, yeah. students who were uh, who worked for for Stacy, if Teresa Tomlinson is the candidate, would they work for her? I mean, is there a tra does it trans transfer? Uh, I think for some of them, yes, um, and I think um, it. I think a lot of that passion for uh, Abrams translates to a passion to win for the ideals that she was. Um, 
presenting and that uh, Tomlinson has a lot of those same ideals. It, it, I would assume that though they, at least some of them, if Stacey Abrams said, go help Teresa Tomlinson, would be inclined to do that. Absolutely. But that's assuming Tomlinson has the field to herself, and there's no reason to think that's going to be the case. And John Ossoff apparently is yeah. waiting in the wings. Um, we're hearing that Sarah Riggs Amico, who ran for lieutenant governor, is interested in running. But it does seem to me, Jim, that Tomlinson has done the smart thing here. Um, she's already made it clear. She's ready to, to run. She's built the infrastructure. She's raising money. So if Abrams decides not to, and my guess is she won't do this, um, uh, she's got a, a big lead on, on, uh, on anybody else who decides who sat back and waiting, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You'd have to, I mean, again, you'd have to go back. Even if Stacey Abrams says, no, I'm not going to, to run, everybody will be waiting for the next words out of her mouth is, is, is to, to determine whether she has a favorite. Right, exactly. Let me tell you what bothers me about this. And it's what Ed said. You can calculate when to announce, but you got to know you're already running. And the other yeah. point is, you can also withdraw. If you can announce, and then if facts change, you can run for another seat. It's what Roy Barnes did, right? Very yeah. effectively. It wouldn't be the first time. So we talk as if if I make an announcement, then it's, it's forever, it's in blood, and I can't change my, my mind because the facts change, because Stacey got in the race or got out of the race. So if you really want to get in the race, you should be in the race. If facts change, you can always change your mind. Well, I still think it's still early, though. I mean, you know, the yeah. fact... You know, I think the deadline really is sort of is July 1st for some other than Stacy. Stacy's made a has drawn a line in the sand, a line in the sand, and said end of April. But for other Democrats, particularly folks like John Ossoff and and the mayor from Columbus and 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 even Jen Jordan, July 1. It's, it's the, to me, that's their deadline. Uh, by the way, Tom Faust just uh, told me in my hearing, reminded me that that's essentially what Lucy McBath did. She started out running for the legislature, ended up deciding she'd run for Congress instead. But what, what Michael, I think what Michael's implying, Jim, is that Abrams could find herself on the Democratic ticket in the presidential race and Absolutely. could withdraw. But man, boy, if that happened and she leaves Georgia Democrats in the lurch, well, Woo. I don't know that that would be getting getting Stacey Abrams on a presidential <laughs> ticket. I don't think that would be losing uh, leaving Georgia in the no. lurch. That would energize uh, Georgia. I, I, it would it, energize it, it, it is if you lose the Senate seat. I mean, I get it. You have a vice well, president. They're they helping would, you out nationally. If she, if she but. won the nomination, she was and then was picked as VP in, I guess, July is when the convention is. The Democrats, uh, the party itself would be the ones who gets to pick the candidate. Yeah, of they course. They get to go through and decide who's the strongest Right, candidate. and then they have like four months to, to yeah. win uh, that with that person. All right, look, we're, now we're getting into pure speculation. Yeah. Well, we're, we're dealing with the political science professor yes. over here. Well, and we're dealing with elected officials over yeah. here, so I'm going to defer. All right, a lot of speculation, which is fine. Our friends on the cable networks, that's all they do is speculate. <laughs> <laughs> we used to watch them report. Now it's all about speculation, so yeah. we get in the game every now and then. Let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, Brian Kemp is marking 100 days in office. He's on a statewide fly around to celebrate what he says are his victories. Let's have the panel look at how well he's done on his first 100 days. This is Political Rewind. Hi, I'm Burt Wesley Huffman, Senior Vice President and Chief Development Officer at GPB. 
This spring, we're trying something new. Instead of taking the time we normally do during an on-air fun drive to ask for your support, we're giving you every minute of your favorite programs. However, as your public radio station, we rely on you to help cover the costs of everything GPB provides for you and your community. So this spring, instead of a traditional fun drive, you'll hear occasional messages reminding you of how essential your support is to GPB. We're calling it GPB's Stealth Drive. It's all about more of what you come to GPB for and less fundraising. No pitch breaks, just short reminders. Think about everything GPB adds to your life and give whatever amount is right for you. Donate online at gpb.org or call 800-222-4788. And thanks. So, uh, Jim Galloway, uh, Kemp celebrated 100 days in office, I think, Thursday, Wednesday, whatever, this past week. Um, let, let's look at what we think uh, he has accomplished and some of the things that have happened uh, during his tenure that were uh, not as celebrated, but if, if you're mm-hmm. him. Uh, I suppose if you're the Kemp people, the first thing you would say is that we put in place our health plan, our health care plan, our what they call the Patients First Act, which gives him the power now unilaterally to determine uh, what kind of waivers we have right. for Medicaid. That's the, an important uh, step for him. Right. The legislature returned to the governor the power to decide what uh, what uh, what uh, federal uh, supported health care will look like in Georgia. And that that's he's he's he now he now has, I think, until June 2020 to figure that one out. Mm-hmm. All right. Then I think the biggest to me, the biggest thing. Uh, and the best thing he, he probably did in, in terms of, of, of his own political future is he got a, a, a $3,000 per, per teacher raise. Yeah, huge. Uh, I, I, can tell you, I can tell you that uh, uh, my email lit up uh, yesterday when, when uh, uh, word went out that Cobb County teachers were going to get somewhere between 8 and 12%. That was phenomenal. I mean, that was astonishing yeah. to me. Right, yeah. right, and that's you know, I've got I've got two educators in the family, <laughs> so, so they were very happy. They'll feel it. Yeah, yeah, Audrey, we know the power that teachers can wield in an election. Just ask. We talked about Roy Barnes. We just ask mm-hmm. Governor Roy Barnes, hoping to win a second term, what teachers can do when they don't like the way you've uh, treated them. So that was a big victory for that him. That was well, and if you look at um, you know when we assess how well people transition and whether they. Um, have a good first 100 days, he had a, a pretty easy transition, uh, not a lot of major mistakes or problems with the people that he chose, no major scandals. Yeah. And then you look at the legislative session. What happened? The stuff that he wanted to get through generally got through. Um, he uh, was able to fulfill some of his promises. And I think the bill where he signed um, relating to voting, about not being able to close the, the polling places, about keeping people on the rolls. This is I, House Bill 316, right? Yes. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that was done strategically, too, to, to be able to say, look. Take some of the sting out. Yeah. Yes, of, absolutely. Of some of his opponents. You know, the fact of the matter is his poll numbers are up. Mm-hmm. I think for good reason. He's like I said, he, he's had a, a successful uh, first session. Uh, we'll see how things progress from here. He's also gotten some good economic news in terms of uh, new businesses coming into Georgia. Uh, I think all uh, all incumbents are, are benefiting right now from a what is a 3.2 percent uh, growth economic growth rate in the last quarter. Uh, so you know all. 
right now he has the wind in his back. Let's point out that the morning consult poll that we talked about for uh, David Perdue a few minutes ago has uh, Kemp with a plus 22 on the approval yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's scale. Number, number 27 among 50. Actually, it's 25, 25? plus okay, 25. Right. So with a bullet, with a bullet. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Michael, the, the question becomes, uh, there, are th no, there are things we can talk about. Medical marijuana, we can say he did si he's signing the bill that uh, will expand production. We'll actually have production here. Distribution will be legal here. That's probably a plus for him. But how much of a how much of a of a of a problem is the heartbeat mm -hmm. bill and his signature of that in terms of how we view him overall in these first hundred days? Well, I think that was the defining issue of his first 100 days. Uh, those other issues that you all discussed, I think, were all positive. But at the end of the day, mm -hmm. this bill is what defined uh, the first session. Uh, I want to go back in something we talked about all the way from the Republican primary to now. There's a tendency, it has been, to underestimate Brian Kemp, even in the Republican primary. And I was, I've said it and repeatedly said He's like you in Athens, man. Well, yeah, but it, <laughs> I've, I've watched him. My point is you've watched his career for I've many years. I've watched his career. And, and uh, so Democrats would make a, mis be a huge mistake to underestimate this man. Now, I think... I. I looked at the first session. I don't see him expanding uh, the Republican base or vote in any way whatsoever. Uh, I think the heartbeat bill may have narrowed that. And where the Republican Party's weakest right now is in the suburbs with educated white women in particular. And I don't see uh, any of those issues actually addressing what is the major weakness right now uh, with Republican candidates statewide. Well, I do think some of the other issues uh, do... do uh answer to some of that but 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 you're quite right that the heartbeat bill cuts two ways number one it's it's extremely popular with his base uh, from a political standpoint number two though it is a, a negative within certain historically Republican areas in the suburbs the the smart thing they did was pass it this year in his first year of a four-year <laughs> term yeah. and so then they can go and, and focus on other issues that might be m more palatable and, and look upon more favorably in the suburban areas. As, as the, uh, Jim, the business community, of course, watches a governor and a legislature from a slightly different perspective than general mm -hmm. voters do. Uh, Kemp was not able to get the Delta fuel tax break uh, through the legislature no, this and, year. But, but and, and, and interesting on this, uh, he had, uh, the governor had a fly around uh, on, on Wednesday, the same day that Trump, Trump was, was in town. Uh, to celebrate his his hundredth day, and in that fly around, uh, he's he committed to coming back to the Delta issue yeah. uh, in the next session, which yeah. I thought was interesting because uh, it, it was an issue where he went on that final day. He went to the Senate Republican Caucus and just got shut down on that issue. Yeah, yeah. So so we'll see how it goes next year. Yeah. And one more thing about the heartbeat bill, which is why many Republican uh, mm -hmm. thinkers and leaders did not want the legislature to address the bill is that it's not going to go into effect. Uh, it, will, it was passed, but it will now be litigated up to the Supreme Court. And I, it's been yeah. litigated there and already. It has, yeah. yes. And it's going because to be litigated I, 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 again. I, I was yes. talking to a group of, of law students and someone asked me how long it'll take before it gets stayed. I said, well, we can do the over-under on, on 72 hours. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> uh, All right. And I'm glad you brought that up because that was another point uh, worth making about Jen Jordan. Mm -hmm. uh, she, whether she's going to run for senator or not, 
Jim, the, uh, yesterday she sent a letter to Chris Carr, the attorney general, the Republican attorney general, saying, I would like you to give me your formal official opinion as to whether HB 481 is constitutional. Now, she was she was she was attempting to make Chris Carr own the bill, yes. if you will. And, 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 and I have to tell you, before we came on air, uh, uh, she has already received a reply. What really? So yes, what? and and uh, the reply didn't come from from Mr. Carr. It came from one of his lieutenants. What a surprise! Son, uh, <laughs> who said, uh, "Look, uh, this is something that we 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 litigate on behalf of the state, and and it would be foolish for us to give us to give, give an opinion on a matter that's going to be determined by a judge." <laughs> so so they they're saying no thank no thank you. We're, we'd we'll, we'll we'll stay out of this fight as long as we. I can. just wanted to mention uh, that, that response speaks volumes. Yes, it does. Well, yeah. we to should, the liabilities associated with this. Yeah, we should mention this has been going on since 2011. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the last time it was uh, offered up at uh, the appellate level, the Supreme Court did not take it up for review. But the Supreme Court is changing. Yeah. The Supreme Court, and you got what? Uh, it's not just Georgia. No, we've but, got uh, Texas. Texas. We've now Ohio. got Kansas. Uh, Kentucky. Mississippi. South Carolina. South Carolina. 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 The heartbeat yeah. bill. North Dakota started it all. Yeah. Um, the other quick thing is that the governor was delayed throughout the session in weighing in on whether he believed that this uh, effort to take over the airport, for the state take over the airport, Ed, was a good idea or not. He stayed out of that throughout the whole uh, session. And then after the session was over, uh, I think expressed some feelings that perhaps it wasn't the best thing to do, but he decided to let the legislature hash that out themselves. Well, think, was that it, smart? Yeah, that is smart. There's no reason for the governor to, to weigh in on every uh, matter that goes before the General Assembly. So a lot of things you, you let the, the General Assembly hash it out. You had the Senate that was very much in favor of it, by, as shown by their votes. Uh, the Speaker of the House uh, expressed his deep reservations about it. Uh, so that, you know, why, why get yourself in the middle of this, particularly when there was a, it was doubtful that it would pass? Uh, the fact of the matter is that, you know, there are a lot of legal issues involved uh, on a, both the federal and the state level in terms of a state takeover of, of an airport. Uh, there are some things that could probably be done and probably be wise for my mayor, Mayor Bottoms, to, to do in terms of cleaning up some of the operations of the airport. Uh, but and it gives her nine months to do so before the next session. Got to get to a break, but Jim, you get the last word. Yeah, I would say I, I would say uh, uh, I had a conversation with with Mike Dugan, uh, the majority leader, yeah. uh, uh, yesterday, and and he was inclined to say that you know this oversight idea that the House had returned had 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 uh, sent back to the Senate might be the place where where the legislature goes next yeah. year if it goes anywhere. All right, so yeah. that's Brian Kemp's first hundred days uh, to uh, we'll watch how the next hundred unfold and talk about him throughout that period of time, I'm sure. Let's get another break out of the way. When we come back, let's talk a little presidential politics because it's heating up, isn't it? This is Political Rewind. Support GPB now at 800-222-4788 or gpb.org and receive tickets to see best-selling author David Sedaris before they go on sale to the public. David Sedaris will be at the Fox Theater in Atlanta on November 20th and the Classic Center in Athens on December 4th. You'll also join us for GPB's pre-show reception. Call 800-222-4788 or give online at gpb.org. And thanks. 
I'm Ira Flato. This week on Science Friday, what you should know about the measles outbreaks. There is a risk of larger outbreaks, and we cannot discount the risk of a national-level outbreak. Plus, National Poetry Month is almost over, and we finish it with a flurry, a celebration of the cosmos in verse. All on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Today at 3 on GPB. Jim Galloway, Audrey Haynes, uh, Ed Lindsay, and Michael Thurman all with us for Political Rewind today. Uh, just a couple quick items before we talk presidential. Jim, uh, uh, President Trump, of course, came to Atlanta to, to be the keynote speaker at the drug and opioid uh, conference this week. Uh, Bluestein had a chance to spend a few minutes with him. And uh, he, the president was pretty strong, no one's surprised by it, in blaming Democrats for the fact that Hurricane Michael relief has been held up in Washington. Right, right. And of course, uh, he, uh, 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 it, this is something that's got David Perdue and Brian Kemp quite worried because it has implications for them. Of course, Democrats say that that uh, Trump is himself the impediment because he is refusing to deal on on Puerto Rico about of sending more aid to that 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 island uh, after two hurricanes in 2017. Uh, Audrey, the remarks that uh, the president made to Greg suggest this fight is not ending soon. He said the Democrats don't care about Georgia. They don't care about farmers. This is not the rhetoric you expect no. from someone who's ready to figure out how to make this work. This is all, uh, a lot of people believe it's politics of the personal, especially because mm -hmm. he and the mayor of Puerto Rico have been having uh, words, calling each other names. And uh, the House is, you know, easily coming up with legislation. The food programs run out in Puerto Rico. It's affecting a lot of people, just like people not only in Georgia are suffering, but California, wildfires, the Midwest, the floods. There are a lot of people who are in trouble. And uh, it's likely going to come down to the All right, Senate. but Michael, I, I want to ask a Democrat before I ask Ed Lindsay this. It, are the Democrats being smart in continuing to make this Puerto Rico fight at the expense of states like Georgia, where they'd like to make inroads in 2020? The more time President Trump has to attack Democrats for holding up the, the uh, distribution of new money, it strikes me that's a message that might resonate, although I suppose you could say, well, it, it resonates in communities that are already going to vote for Trump no matter what. Yeah. Democratic leaders in the House and the Senate did not travel to southwest Georgia and promise that aid will okay. be delivered and that we are standing with you. The president of the United States made that promise to the people in South Georgia and he should deliver on the promise that he made. Oh, fair enough. All right. Um, let, let's move on and talk presidential politics for a, a few minutes here. Uh, Ed, you said you were interested in uh, the Biden campaign. Before we well, give you... Yeah. The, 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 go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, <laughs> All right. So Biden finally jumped into the race yesterday. Before we talk, let's just watch a little of the video that he released. It'll give us uh, something that we can uh, discuss and uh, expand the conversation beyond that. So here's a section of the Biden announcement, which is about three uh, some minutes long. He starts by talking about Charlottesville, points out that, of course, this is Thomas Jefferson's home, talks about uh, the importance of our democratic values, and then talked about Charlottesville in terms of the president's comments about there were good people on both sides. Let's pick up what Joe Biden then says. And in that moment, 
I knew the threat to this nation was unlike any I had ever seen in my lifetime. I wrote at the time that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. Well, that's even more true today. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. I believe history will look back on four years of this president and all he embraces as an aberrant moment in time. But if we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, he will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation, who we are. And I cannot stand by and watch that happen. Ed, this is the first Democratic candidate who has said from the very beginning, elect me because the tone in this country, the values of this country are at stake. President Trump needs to be defeated so that we can return to the things we truly believe in as Americans. And he speaks of this on a very high philosophical plane, essentially. Is that smart? Well, I think it is, uh, because there are a lot of Democrats who are very uh, angry at at the president. I mean, there was an article in Politico that spoke about uh, Cory Booker, for instance, and his difficulty in his campaign launching because he wants to talk about the politics of love and, and the the, the mm-hmm. article was talking about, sorry, but the Democrats are mad. <laughs> Now's not the time to talk I about saw that love. Article. That's great. And so I, I do think it, it, it was a smart strategy. The question is, is, is how well Biden will play in this new Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, and, and, particularly and, given the history of, of the Democratic Party when, you know, 2016 was ahistorical. Uh, in, in many respects, but one respect is very interesting. Republicans usually choose a seasoned person to run for president who's, who's been out there before. 2016, they didn't do that, uh, but Republicans didn't do that. Democrats usually choose that, that new and shiny, bright and shiny car yeah. uh, candidate, and they didn't do that in 16. The question is whether or not they're going to return to choosing somebody who's new or go with a seasoned person like like that. I, 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 I think the what we just saw uh, the video that we the video we saw and heard uh, of Biden he, he's making uh, an existential argument yeah and I think when he makes that argument he he's 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 leapfrogging over all these little cuts of a thousand uh, a thousand little slices that he he may be prone to because he's got these this 40-year uh, record for everybody to examine and and I think he escapes that uh, when, when, he, when, he, when he talks at that level. Audrey? Well, it's interesting. There's so much to say. Um, one thing, um, you were talking about Biden looking at the timing of getting in. A lot of people um, were looking, um, saying that Biden was looking at the numbers. He wanted to see how well Kamala Harris and um, Cory Booker did with African-American voters and, mm-hmm. and a couple of other groups. And then once he saw that, wow, you know, here are these candidates, they're only at 20 percent, and I'm at 30 percent, and that, yeah. that could change. So. The ground looked better. People who know him say he wanted to be more of a consensus candidate instead of uh, I've got 25 percent, so does Bernie, so might someone else. Um, And we don't know what's going to turn out. But 60 percent of the Democratic Party is made up of women. And the party is splintered in half right now with moderates and liberals and progressives. And a lot of people in the media are talking about the progressives when really there are still a lot of voters out there that do respond to Biden pretty well because they view him as 
the good sense guy. Uh, Michael, there's been a lot of talk. The chattering classes have been <laughs> complaining about the fact that Biden doesn't know how to raise money in the new environment of uh, 20, uh, 2020 politics. Uh, he doesn't understand the using social media, digital uh, uh, fundraising efforts. I, I have to tell you that the Wall Street Journal just uh, moved a story while we were on the air. And here's the headline. Joe Biden's presidential campaign said it raised $6.3 million in the first 24 hours, surpassing rivals Beto O'Rourke and Bernie Sanders. Now, he's going to get criticized because he's taking money from deep pocket donors uh, and that'll be used against him. Well, this is true. And, you know, there's this internal flux uh, taking place within the Democratic Party, uh, which is what parties do when they're out of power and out of the White House. And we are trying as a party to define ourselves in terms of 21st century, what, you know, the progressive wing as well as the more moderate wing of the party. And I think what uh, Uncle Joe, as he likes he for <laughs> us to call him, uh, Uncle Joe presents us with an opportunity. He's going to try to split that difference, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I had a listener, by the way, who said, Uncle Joe, isn't that what they used to call Stalin? <laughs> Is that, that was, that was <laughs> Roosevelt's yeah. uh, That was Trump. That's exactly right. Right. But, you know, I, I, was, he, I was remembering <laughs> Petticoat Junction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Edgar uh, Buchanan. You know, yeah. Yeah. Too, can I just say this, though? I mean, there's so many candidates, and, I, that, you know, the Republican went through this in the last cycle. Yeah. I think at some point you reach a tipping point with candidates. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it earlier. It's going to be very difficult for 20 or 22 people to get any traction. Well, and they're going to win it. That's the advantage yeah. that Joe yes. Biden has. They so, will win but it. But one, one one to sort of build on that point in terms of uh, your point in terms of, of, of waiting and seeing how other folks fan. I think that this poll that we talked about earlier in terms of senators and how they're viewed in their home state. Well, if you start drilling down and looking at the poll numbers for the, the senators who are running for president, showed some of these folks showing a lot of strength and some showing not so much strength based on how they're viewed in their home areas. Bernie Sanders, 62-31, enormously popular in his area. I think that, that bodes very badly for uh, Senator Warren yeah. uh, when it comes to, the, to those. She did not do well in Massachusetts contrast, polling. Elizabeth Warren is not particularly yeah. for, a, for an incumbent senator running for president. 49% approval, but 40% disapproval yeah. in Massachusetts. Yeah. That could That's, matter in New Hampshire. That'll matter yeah. in New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, Cory Booker also has difficulty. Kamala Harris, who's counting on Super Tuesday, California moving up its to, uh, to March third to, yeah. to March third to be able to sort of pick up a lot. You know, 43-29, not particularly good. Uh, now there's a sleeper out there, and that's Amy uh, Klobuchar. She's going to do well. Who uh, will do 58-26. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a pretty good swing yeah. uh, for her. And that yeah, she loves to say that in Minnesota she won every congressional district, including Michelle Bachman's, which yeah. is saying something for a Democratic I mean, so, uh, so that's, uh, senator. That's I, some interesting. I, I just were in observation. I've followed Joe Biden's career as, as a reporter for a long time. I actually spent a great deal of time with him on the road in 1987 when he made his first run. And... You know, I don't think his origin story is not going to resonate today the way it did back then. Remember, at oh, that, yeah. he had lost his wife, his young daughter mm -hmm. in a, a tragic automobile accident before he was sworn into the United States Senate. He, he questioned at that point whether he should go ahead and run, I mean, take Sir. the seat, because he was so concerned about his sons back home in Wilmington. They were quite young. 
He went ahead and did it, and every day, and this was a, a powerful story for the candidate then, he would get on that Amtrak train mm -hmm. between Wilmington and Washington to serve in the Senate, go back home to be with his sons. And one of the most powerful, in that, that year I covered the um, announcement speeches of every Democrat and Republican uh, running, went to all of them, and there was no more powerful event than getting on the train. He announced at the train station in Wilmington, and we all got on the train, reporters, supporters, went to Washington where he had another event. So Jim, I, I say all this because maybe, I, I get the Cory Booker's running on love is probably not a great <laughs> idea, but beneath it all, I think Americans believe there's a goodness in Biden's heart and uh, that he has values that they do appreciate. He, he's, he's, he's a man of community, yeah. which, which, which I think is, is, is something that, that might resonate here. I, I've got a question for Michael, and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to make you the official spokesman for African-Americans. <laughs> well, on this panel, I guess I'll assume the position. <laughs> but but, 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 but let, let me ask you, I mean, right now, now, what uh, I mean, we understand what happened in uh, in 2008 uh, with 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 Obama and, and and Hillary. I mean, that what's what's the dynamic uh, right now with with this field of 20? I mean, does anybody does anybody carry any any special ownership coming into into Georgia? Uh, speaking of 2000, this is pre South Carolina. Remember, mm. Obama was the, when he was a candidate was basically in the same position Harris and uh, Cory Booker is in vis-a-vis -vis Hillary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then things happened in South Carolina and it changed the dynamic. But I think uh, African American voters are much more sophisticated than some people uh, perceive us to be. And moderate. And moderate, and they're going to look at the candidates and, like any other Democratic constituency, we want to win. Uh, that's the, that's the drive. Would Joe force. Biden have a chance in Georgia? Absolutely, absolutely. I think he will. Uh, you know, you have a moderate wing of the party that's reasserting itself. By the way, uh, we focus on the progressives, but what you're seeing is more coalesce. Uh, that the moderates are coalescing more. I'm talking to moderate Democrats, black, white, and others who are saying that look, we got to be assert and and be more aggressive and be more involved. So I don't think just because the candidate is African American, he or she can assume that they're going to get a majority or even all of the uh, African-American vote. We right. know Joe. Blacks know Joe Biden. Yes. And if Obama moves... And he will. And he will, that's going to be a huge asset for Joe Biden as it relates to African-American vote. Well, it, it, it's going to be fun to watch his presidential campaign uh, play out for Democrats and going to be fun to see how President Trump responds. And although we, our focus is not national politics, I, Jim, I think we'll be spending some time talking <laughs> oh, yes, about yes. that. Uh, before we leave, just a quick note. Um, out in Coweta County, the African American Heritage Museum is having an event on Saturday. So if you're watching the show on TV on Sunday, I'm sorry you've already missed it. But um, they're going to commemorate a man named Sam Hose. Sam Hose was lynched on April 23, 1899 in Coweta. He was a farm worker. He was arrested for the murder of his white boss. There was no trial before anything, before the case could be adjudicated. He was uh, uh, taken by a mob. 
uh, to an outdoor location where terrible things happened to him. I don't even want to talk about him specifically. 2,000 people showed up to watch the lynching. Trains came down from Atlanta for it. It was one of the most horrific lynchings in Georgia of its time period. So good for you, Coweta County African American Heritage Museum, for wanting to remind us of some of the things that happened in those days here in Georgia. We're completely out of time uh, for today's show. We'll be back Monday at 2. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to the panel. See you all. <laughs>